Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. Today we uh, are going to begin uh, looking at the greatest sermon ever preached. Uh, Christians and non-Christians, believers and non-believers all agree this is the greatest teaching ever given by any individual. Uh, what are we talking about? We're talking about the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount was the greatest <clears throat> sermon ever preached. And in this sermon that Jesus gives us on the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about what kingdom living is all about. <clears throat> so for the next several weeks, uh, next many weeks, I, I want to climb this mountain with you. I want to climb this mountain under the title, Kingdom Living. Now, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And in this passage, Jesus is going to give us the fullest statement of discipleship to be found in the Bible. So we're going to look at these words again in Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16, under the heading, How to Be a Genuine Disciple. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same manner, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So in these words, Jesus calls every genuine follower to a distinctive lifestyle. Uh, he summarizes, if we could summarize the function that Jesus has for followers today uh, to be a genuine disciple, there's one word that we could use to summarize what it means to be a disciple. Influence. Influence. A disciple is going to influence those around him. He is going to influence people. So character affects people. The way you live your life affects people. So as you look at this passage, we will delve into it. I'm going to give you three things that you need to understand. Three things that you need to hang on to in order to truly know what it means to be a genuine disciple. The first thing I want you to see is you need to understand the description of discipleship. Notice what Jesus says in verse 13 and verse 14. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. He says, you are the salt. You are the light. Now, he didn't say you might be. He didn't say you could be. He said you should be. There's a good chance you could be. He says, no, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So what did Jesus mean by that? What did Jesus mean when he called his disciples salt and light? Now, there's a number of things that people have, have talked about. And if I'm honest, you probably heard better preachers than me that have discussed this and, and preached this passage that can give you all these great details of what it means. I want to point out two distinctive qualities about these elements that Jesus talks about. So first, let's look at salt. What did Jesus mean when he says that you are the salt of the earth? The thing that we know that most about salt is that it prevents decay and it prevents deterioration. 
If you put salt on it, it preserves, it keeps things from dying, things from deteriorating. So just as salt keeps things from deteriorating or decaying, Christians are to prevent moral and spiritual decay in the world where God has placed them. I remember looking at one of my great theology books uh, a few weeks back on Peanuts, Peanuts cartoon. And in this Peanuts cartoon, Peppermint Patty uh, is talking to, to Charlie Brown. And she said, Charlie, she goes, Chuck, she's calling Chuck. She said, Chuck, first day of school, and I've already been to the principal's office. And it's all your fault, Chuck. Charlie Brown looks at her and says, why is it my fault? What did I do? Why do you blame everything on me? Why is this my fault? Peppermint Patty says, you're my friend, aren't you, Chuck? She says, you should have been a better influence on me. Now, Peppermint Patty was trying to pass the buck, but there's an element of truth in, in what she was trying, trying to say. She's trying to say that we all should be a good influence on the people that are around us. The fact of the matter is, look, there are always people watching you. There are always people looking at you. What do they see? I remember one church where I served as a pastor on a Sunday morning. You can know this is a dated illustration when you hear this. Uh, one of my, my good friends showed up in church wearing the exact same tie, the exact same shirt, and the exact same suit that I was wearing. And I looked at him and said, hey, dude, what are you doing, man? Are you trying to dress like the preacher? He goes, that's my goal in life. He said, I want to dress like the preacher and act like Jesus. I said, oh, that's better than the alternative, to dress like Jesus and act like the preacher. But the fact of the matter is that people are looking at you. People are looking at you whether you know it or not. They're watching you. They're, they're looking at you in, in, a, in a positive way or they're looking at you in a negative way. And, and we need to make sure that when they look at us, when they see us, that we are making a positive impact on their lives. This is what Jesus is saying about salt. When we mingle out there with the people, we are to make sure that we're slowing the decay, we're slowing the deterioration by being a positive influence on people. The second thing that Jesus says, he says, you're the salt of the earth. He also says, you are the light of the world. Now, the greatest illustration of light is its illuminating ability. It illuminates things in the darkness. I remember you reading a story about an old cowboy or an old farmhand who was making fun of his, his, his farmhand who used to take a lantern out to court his girl, to go see his girl. And the old, the old farmhand was saying, well, when I went a courting, I didn't take no lamp out of that. You know, I didn't need that kind of stuff. He said, I, you know, I didn't need that to light my way. And the, old, the, the new farmhand said, yeah, and look what you got. And, and the, the point is, now that might be a good reason to carry a, light, a lamp or a, a flashlight or something. But the point is that the reason we use the light illustration is because we as followers of Jesus, we as Genuine disciples are to show the world how life is to be lived. We are to show people how life is to be lived. With salt, we slow the deterioration process. With light, we illuminate on how life is to be lived. Notice the persons of discipleship. Notice that Jesus did not say, you have the salt of the earth. You have the light of the world. He didn't say, you possess the salt. You possess the light. Nor did he command, give us a command. He goes, go be salt, go be light. He didn't say that. Jesus made a, a declarative statement. He says, you are. 
You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. So Jesus says there's an exclusiveness about this characteristic. Literally, what this verse means is you and you alone, as my disciples, are the salt of the earth. You and you alone, as my disciples, are the light of the world. Who is going to prohibit? Who is going to limit moral and spiritual decay in the world? The disciples of Jesus. The salt and light is going to do it. Who is going to show the world how we ought to live life? It's the disciples of Jesus, the light of the world. So that's the persons of discipleship. But he also talks about the place of discipleship. And you know me long enough that sometimes you need to look at what a passage does not say as much as looking at what a passage does say. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, you are the salt of the church. Neither did he say, you are the light of the church. With this statement, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. Jesus designated his disciples as salt. He designated them as light, and then he sends them out into the earth and the world to be salt and to be light. Jesus does not call us and put us in a salt shaker and keep us in there. It's only as we are dispensed from the salt shaker that we make an impact in the world and where we are. This is what he's trying to say. It. Listen, my friends, it's time for the church to get out of our habitual holy huddles and get out into the community and be salt and be light in the world where God has called us to be. You see, we can have a positive influence in society when we as Christians, when we as followers of Jesus have the effect of salt and light in the evil surroundings in which we find ourselves. Salt presents K. It presents deterioration. Light illuminates and points people in the right direction. When Christians are salt and when Christians are light, it benefits society. It, that's the way God designed it. That's the way God wanted it to be. So the question you have to ask yourselves this morning is, how do these words apply to you? What are these words saying to you this morning? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you, this, these, these words tell you how you are to be and, what you are to, and how you are to relate to the world around you. Remember, when you go out into the world, you are salt and you are light. Make sure you're living up to that characteristic that God has called you to be. There's a second thing we need to understand. The first one was understand the description of discipleship. The second one is understand the dangers of discipleship. There's two definite dangers that Jesus points out in this passage. He says, first, we need to, be, we need to look out for the danger of diluted discipleship. Notice what he says. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And you better believe that when the disciples heard this, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. That down in, in the region of Galilee, in the region of, of the Israel, uh, not Galilee, but Israel, there's a Dead Sea. And at the Dead Sea is known for salt deposits. And these salt deposits be piled up opposite the salt sea, they look like salt, they glisten like salt, they are white like salt, but they've lost their salty taste. 
they're not good for anything. And what had happened from a scientific way is the sodium chloride had mixed with other chemicals, and as a result, it was diluted. And it was no longer uh, salt anymore. It looked like salt. It glistened like salt. It, it resembled salt, but it was no longer salty. It served no purpose. Here's the point. This can happen to us as followers of Jesus Christ. You see, we can so accommodate to the lifestyle of the world, we can so accommodate to the teachings of the world that we no longer become effective. We no longer make a difference. We can so accommodate the world around us that there's no difference in us and the world. And Jesus says, when that happens, we've lost our purpose, that we're no longer beneficial. We can so assimilate with the world that we become victims of, of deluded discipleship. Listen, we are either a witness to the changing power of Jesus Christ or we are a witness against the changing power of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me on that once again. This is imperative that you hear this. We are either a witness to the changing power of Jesus Christ or we are witnessing witness to the non-changing power of Jesus Christ. We need to Remember that. I remember reading a story about a pastor who was at a conference, and one of his fellow uh, pastors asked him, he said, how many people do you have in your church? He goes, I have 800 members in my church. And the pastor asked him, are they all active in the church? He goes, 300 of them are active for Jesus, 500 are active for the devil. And, and that's the truth. Uh, we are either active for Jesus or we are active for the devil in this world where we live. This is what Jesus said. He says, if you've lost your saltiness, if you look like salt and you glisten like salt and you resemble salt, but you're no longer salty, Jesus says you are good for nothing. Good for nothing. Not my words. These are the words of Jesus. I think there's a word of warning for us in this passage. We need to beware of diluted discipleship. We can so dilute our message, we can so dilute uh, the truth we, that, that we're no longer useful. We can compromise our character. You can so water down your witness that you lose your influence in the world. Yeah, I think so many of us were so afraid of what society might think that you don't even think. You just go with the flow. You just go with the crowd. That you never stop to think, is this what Jesus wants me to do? Is this how Jesus wants me to represent him in the world? Is this what Jesus has called me to be? And so you just go with the flow. We go with the flow and we allow others to impact our life instead of us impacting their lives. That's what it says. So we got to be the danger of deluded discipleship. The second one is the danger of silent servanthood. Listen, we can so obscure his light that no one sees it. You know, light, you know, points to the danger. It, it, it even, uh, that's what I said, light is supposed to point out the danger. But Jesus is saying, saying in this passage, he said, A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. He said, you don't do that. If you have light, you don't try to hide it. You don't, you don't try to cover it up. You help it to illuminate Jesus is saying, don't hide, don't obscure 
your, your, your discipleship. He said, shine. Get out there and radiate and shine the presence of Jesus is what he's saying. Let me ask you a question. Are you a victim of silent servanthood? Are you a victim of silent servanthood? Why? Why, why have you allowed that to happen? Maybe you've, you hide your Christian values at the office, at school, probably not now, but in school. You didn't want people to know that you were a believer. At work, you don't want people to know you are a believer. So you put your Christianity on a shelf, and then you pick it up on Sunday when you come back to church, and you pretend all over again. You hide your fishing faith in a closet. <laughs> maybe, maybe you need to come out of the closet and let people know that you're a follower of Jesus. Why do you do that? Why do we do that? We want to fit in. Uh, you want to fit in. You, you don't want to be... Uh, you don't want to be unpopular. Maybe you're doing it because you want to be popular. You want to be liked. Uh, maybe you want to escape ridicule. Uh, maybe you don't want people to criticize you, abuse you, or uh, insult you. Maybe you don't want to do that. Regardless of the reason, Jesus is saying, don't be a victim of silent servanthood. Don't be a victim of diluted discipleship. If you're going to be a genuine disciple, You've got to understand these dangers in your life. There's one more truth we need to apply from this passage. We need to also understand the duties of discipleship. Jesus said there's two ways to look at the duties of discipleship. The first one is our, our discipleship should be obvious. Uh, look at what he says. He says, uh, let your light shine before men. Let your light shine before men. He's saying, let your light shine so that others will see. So that others will see that light shining. And you do that through how? Good deeds. He says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. So you're doing good deeds. One thing we know about Jesus, and I think that's who we want to emulate. We want to be like Jesus. Uh, we want to do that. The thing we, we know about Jesus is that everywhere he went, he went around doing good. He gave sight to the blind. You know, he gave uh, the ability to walk to the lame. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. Uh, he ministered to the down and outs of society. Whatever Jesus did, it was obvious. Everybody could see that he was doing good. He was doing his good deeds. But here's the question, and this is one of the things I challenge a lot of uh, younger believers uh, on this. Why did Jesus do these good deeds? Was that the end of, his, of, his, of it? You know, was, uh, uh, we need to understand that this was not the end of what he was doing. This was just a means to get to the end of it, the message. What was his purpose? His purpose was the gospel. His purpose was the message. His purpose, what pers his purpose was to communicate the good news. So Jesus healed the lame, and he healed the blind, and he healed the sick, and he fed the hungry, and he offered comfort to the comfortless and hope to the hopeless. Why? For the purpose of communicating the truth, the message. Jesus never forgot that he had come to preach the good news, to proclaim the year of salvation. He never forgot that. That was his purpose. He used these other things to open the door for him to communicate the truth. 
of the gospel to people. He was, if Jesus was doing that, we should do no less than the same. That's what we ought to be all about. We should be doing that. Uh, we ought to be making our discipleship obvious to others by the things that we do, by the things we don't do. So our discipleship should be obvious. Second, our discipleship is to be compelling. Notice what Jesus says. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And look at this last part. And praise your Father in heaven. Praise your Father in heaven. So here, here we see that the discipleship is to be compelling. Look, one of the duties of you as a disciple, one of the duties of me as, as a disciple is to bring people closer to God by the way we live, by the way we live our lives, by the things we say. You see, what we have, Jesus is trying to raise the character of Christians in this passage. I think what we have in the world today is we have too many Christians that are characters and not enough Christians with character. We have too many Christians in the world that are characters and not enough Christians with character. We ought to accept the duties of discipleship. We ought to accept the responsibilities of discipleship. Years ago, there was a farm located in southern Georgia called Quantania Farms. It was started by the man by the name of Clarence Jordan. He was famous for the, uh, the gospel, uh, uh, Cotton Patch Gospel. But he started this quantity of farms, and it was very controversial because it was interracial, uh, you know, intergenerational, uh, you know, it involved a lot of different people. And uh, it became controversial to a lot of people. Though many people gave to the ministry, it was a source of controversy for many. Well, he one day went and visited his lawyer brother uh, at his law office and said, hey, I need your help with some some work on quantity of farms. And his lawyer brother knew that if he engaged in that, it would be controversial. So he rejected, uh, he decided not to help his brother Clarence in this situation. And Clarence Jordan looked at his brother, he said, brother, you and I walked the same aisle of that little Baptist church back home. I think you need to go back and explain to the pastor what you really meant. You need to tell him you didn't really mean to follow Jesus. You just admired Jesus. Listen, my friends. I'm going to lean in really close so you can get this, all right? The church is not a Jesus admiration society. The church is not a Jesus admiration society. A church is a group of individuals called by God to be salt and light in the world where he has left us. We are a band of disciples who are bound and determined to do his will no matter what the cost may be. Whatever it takes, we're going to do the will of God. Whatever it takes, we're going to live it out. We're going to be salt and we're going to be light. That means we must accept the duties. We must accept the responsibilities. And I know this truth is hard to grasp. I know it's difficult. But we ought to do our good works in the presence of people to draw people to Jesus, not to the work. Not to the work. Whatever it takes. And what better way 
to test the purity of the work. Listen, if we are drawing people, if I'm drawing people to me, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. We need to be drawing people to Jesus. And any individual, any individual that is drawing them to Him and not to Jesus, that's wrong. That's why you will always hear me. Don't be a follower of me. Follow the vision. Embrace the vision. Because the vision outlasts the person. The vision will last a lot longer than the person. But if you follow the person, when that person is gone, you're lost and you don't know which way to go. We need to be pointing people to Jesus so that they can follow Him. It's not easy. I'm telling you, it is not easy. For some of you, it could be some in this room, but I'm speaking to you across the internet. For some of you, can I tell you what you need to do? You need to decrease and let God increase. You need to become less and allow God to be more in your life. For some of you, that means you're going to face rejection and you're going to face criticism. For, for some of you, that means you're going to have to, there's going to be an entire change in what you do and what you say. But it means you're accepting the demands. You're telling Jesus today, I accept the demands of what it means to be a genuine disciple. You're accepting the demands of what it means. Listen, God's only witnesses in the world are His children living out the gospel message in front of people. And the only way that people are ever going to know about Jesus is through the testimony of believers. That's the only way. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And here's the truth. Guys, this is not an option. This is not a pretty little thing to think about. It's not an option. If we are serious about our relationship with Jesus Christ, if we are serious about being His followers and being a genuine disciple, this is not an option. We have to do it. And we have to, we have to penetrate society and be the moral influence as well as the spiritual influence in the world around us. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. But may I submit to something to you, not just as individuals, but as the church. As the church. You've heard me say it a thousand times. We can do together what no one of us can do alone. It doesn't say the preacher is the salt of the earth. It doesn't say the preacher is the light of the earth. It doesn't say select individuals. It says you are. You are. Let me see if I can illustrate this with a story I read many years ago. The story is told of a little four-year-old boy who wandered from his house and got lost in a wheat farm. The mother and dad searched frantically for the little boy through the day, but he was too small to be seen in the wheat and, you know, to see out of the wheat or to be seen in the wheat. And so they walked tirelessly through the wheat farm at night, during the day and at night but they never found him. The next day, all the neighbors around them heard of their plight. So they all came together and they joined hands across the wheat farm. They joined hands and they searched and they found the little boy 
but it was too late. The little boy had died from exposure in the night. And the caption on the story has the mom crying out, Oh God, oh God, why didn't we join hands earlier? Why didn't we join hands earlier? And here's the thing. People are living all around us and they're lost and they can't find their way home. And it's going to take more than one or two of us out there doing our part as salt and light. It's going to take all of us joining together to reach the lost and the perishing, to be an influence in the world where God has placed us. We have to work together. We have to join hands. And we have to work to create an environment where the light of Christ will illuminate into dark places and the salt of truth will penetrate into lives. It's my hope and my prayer that you will join with me. You'll join with others. And let's join hands so that we as a body of believers that meet here at 6301 Bosky Boulevard physically, that we were spread out in our community and we will let the light of Christ shine and the gospel message reign true. And that we will join hands and do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, to create an environment where people can come and they can hear the message and they can see genuine discipleship lived out before them. That is my hope. That is my prayer. You know, we're not going to be in this virus forever. We will eventually come out on the other side. And the question we have to ask is, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of believer do we want to be? Do we want to be a genuine disciple and be salt and be light? I pray that God will lead you to respond one way. Say, I want to be salt. I want to be light. I want our church to be salt. I want our church to be light. I pray that you can make that statement today. Maybe you need to do that in your own life, in the quietness of your home. You need to pray a prayer, something like this. Jesus, I know I've taken my Christianity for granted. I know, Father, that I've allowed my discipleship to become deluded that I've hidden my light. Lord, I ask you to forgive me for not being the disciple that you've called me to be. Lord, I want to be your salt. Lord, I want to be your light. Lord, would you mix me with other believers and together we can be a lot more salty and we can bear a lot more light. God, I repent of my self-centeredness, I repent of my sin. ask you to forgive me and use me from this day forward to be salt and be light. I hope you can pray that prayer. For others of you, maybe you need Jesus. We want you to know that Jesus loves you. And he proved his love for you in this, that while you were still stuck in your sin, Jesus Christ died for you. And he paid a price that you could never pay. He loves you, and He gave His life so that you could spend eternity with Him. 
You need, to re- you need to admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. That he rose again on the third day. And that he lives forever with the Father in heaven. You need to confess him as Lord. And admit that. And then you need to commit your life to Jesus. You can do that today right where you're at. Right where you're at.